Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. I've got a very special guest with me today, the Managing Director of the UK and Europe for Reef Technology, Barak Zimmerman. So thank you very much for joining me today. How are you? Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. I'm well, well. How are you, Barak? Very well. Thanks for a bit hot. But <laughs> so, Barak, tell us a bit about Reef Technology. Who are they and what is their role in terms of real estate? Absolutely. So... <clears throat> Rift Technology, we are a company that basically we build the platform for the new economy. And so we are kind of aligned behind this mission statement of building the ecosystem that connects the world to your block. And when you think about what that means, as a set of, in terms of real estate, what we do is we're looking at real estate that really relies at the heart of where the people are. Urbanization has been a massive thing over the last few decades by now, but it's kind of getting into this really uh, flipping point this late few years, combined with really changes in few trends. I mentioned urbanization, but there's the on-demand e-commerce that is rising. The just-in-time and all that kind of stuff, yeah, supply chains. Combined with real demand for sustainability coming from the people, and now also being adopted by municipalities, countries, etc. And we kind of noticed all of those coming together and realized that people want and need to receive and consume from where they are rather than going to the destination more and more and more, right? And e-commerce is, is the best example of that. And so what we are building is a platform that enables businesses from all around from the world Mm-hmm. to get as close as possible, proximity, effectively, to the end consumer. And we've noticed these small gems spread all across the, the city that nobody has utilized, car parks. Now, probably the first time somebody referred to car park as a gem, but uh, as far as we're concerned from a real estate perspective, it really is because it's unlock access, mm-hmm. it resides in real proximity to the end consumer, and therefore we've built this by now quite massive organization mm-hmm. with multiple arms that starts with identifying the real estate that continues with building a platform that on that real estate can actually create an ecosystem of multiple businesses that serve the residents around it. Fantastic. I mean, obviously you mentioned Carfox there. That's how I first got to know this company and it was a few years ago and I was actually looking at purchasing a car park and spoke to uh, one of your employees, Mike, and um, and just, I was blown away by all the things that you could do to add value to those car parks. Do you want to just run through some of those things now? I, I, think, I think an hour wouldn't be enough to uh, <laughs> really go through it. But I'll tell you, there's a few elements. I'll tell you what we started with and why yeah. we started with it. We decided we're going to go for operating kitchens out of car parks, delivery-only kitchens out of car parks as the first, we call those applications, different use cases, we call those applications, as the first application we would put into into a car park. The reason why we did that is that food is the most complex one. 
when you think of the labor involved, the supply chain involved, the operations that are involved, and quite frankly also the, the sales and revenue generation that involves, once we unlock and figure out how to do that, all the rest are pretty much, we have proof of concept for all the rest. Well. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, that was the very first app we've started with five years ago now, and we have established the first one right here in London. So we have a, uh, one of our kitchens out of a car park, been in operation for more than five years now. Yeah. And that would be kind of the very first step. The other application that then we've moved to is, in our mind, we want to realize the ecosystem idea, right? So today in, in, in our car parks, you would find kitchens next to it, you would find vertical farm yeah. that will, will grow goods right there on, on the ground. For the kitchen, I'm guessing. For the kitchens yeah. and for the local uh, restaurants and local restaurants yeah. and for the local neighbors. Yeah. So you have food that literally travels zero miles before it hits your plate, as fresh as it gets, and also affordable, which is another thing that is very important for us when we work with those companies, because some of those kitchens, for example, is, is an arm of reef we do. But we also have we're also hosting and enabling third parties businesses to basically build their businesses on our on our platform and our vert the vertical farm in, in London is, is, is one example of that. Then you can start linking a lot of other stuff into this um, ecosystem. So EV charges both for consumers, the B2C type of, of, of charges, but also to enable the electrification of fleet of taxis, Ubers, and all of those, something that is happening now big time in London. There's the commitment from Uber, I think they, they keep on moving the, the post from <laughs> 2030 to 2025, yeah, yeah. 2023 it was at some point. They need massive help on building that infrastructure, yeah. so our ecosystem and, and our hubs are perfect for those type of use cases. Other uses are dark stores is obviously high on demand and high in the news right now. It works for the same principles. They need the proximity, they need access to yeah. the real estate. Our hubs are perfect for, for that. And is that more like last mile logistics for your Amazons to get back in to obviously go all the products might go to their central warehouse in the Midlands somewhere, a huge, great big place, and then it's put out to the smaller regions and, and then the last mile takes that. Is that what you mean by a dark store or is it something else? So yeah, dark stores are the likes of uh, Gorillas, Getir and those types of players who came into, into the market. Yeah, it's basically retail on demand within 10, 15, 20 minutes. Right, right. so that's if, I've, uh, if I need a pint of milk from my local Aldi, they'll go grab it for me. Or build literally a small mini store ah, right, okay. that doesn't accept doesn't welcome people in, but yeah. have the drivers there and the big pack and pickers basically creating those packages to be delivered to their yeah. consumer. So just to touch on one of those points there, because a lot of our listeners are investors of real estate and so they might have car parks. So to give an insight into kind of the, the numbers involved, when I was looking at it, which bear in mind was sort of four or five years ago, I think, when we looked at it, we were looking at the dark kitchens to go in the car park space and we worked out that our car parking space was worth, could be X pounds per square foot for us in revenue each year. But as a dark kitchen, it multiplied that by six times. So it was a 600% increase in our income, in our net income that we were going to get over the course of each year. And so that's a huge, huge uplift. And when you look at a car park, you might have, I don't know, 100 spaces and you use 10% of those for dark kitchens or even vertical farms or any of these other places. And that's increasing your, your net operating income by that factor. And then you look at how you can then 
refinance that against a new value or you sell it on as a income play. I mean, it's a huge, huge uplift in value. So it's a yeah, fantastic product. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we did the math with uh, one of our first hubs and what we like to measure is GMV, right? Because uh, the worst merchant value of transactions happening on a real estate gives us a good indication to the financial and commercial power that that yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, element has. And really what we're, what we're doing in the industry is we're trying to change the industry from thinking about car parks as this one-dimensional mm. use case parking to multiple dimensions where, where it comes to revenue generation. And then once we've applied that to uh, a car park, basically the whole GMV was comprised of just parking transactions, mm. we saw on GMV increase 60x on top line of all transactions happening. Now, obviously, some some of the businesses of take take the majority of that, etc., and it does translate eventually for the landlords to still significant numbers, yeah, yeah. anywhere between two, three, six x, yeah, numbers that we've heard before. But really, the economical power that we bring to that area exemplify what an ecosystem can actually create. Yeah, exactly. You talked about kind of. Um, the car parks, is there any other parts of real estate that you look at? Because obviously you talk about vertical kitchens, I imagine that there's other parts of real estate that are really useful for that type of thing, such as, I don't know, rooms and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So is it, what other parts of real estate could be involved? So our guideline for real estate, we are looking for real estate that has, which uses a, a very advanced BI tool that helps us identify and, and geoscore the work. And it helps us geoscore pretty much the land. And we are going for areas where both there's a match of a good amount of density of population yeah. combined with the right trends in the area. We're looking at the restaurants that are there, which are the type of offices that are there, the type of businesses. Uh, is it growing? Is it not growing? The type of population it goes in. We combine a lot of data points together mm. to decide basically and to match what use cases suit which area. And so could you give me an example then of a use case that might suit a certain area but not another? Um, yeah, absolutely. So if you go back to the charges, for example, mm -hmm. free charging where Uber and the likes has not penetrated yet yeah. is not something that we bring to the table. If we're going to install a kitchen and only put high -end, the most high-end London brands in an area that is, might not be that affluent, yeah. obviously the seller won't, won't be there. So it's very important that we match content with the right area. We've built a tremendous amount of different content, different brands that work with us on the restaurant side to pretty much be able to match any price level that would suit the... Yeah, the yeah. so you have McDonald's in one and on the, uh, the Ivy in another. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. And um, you mentioned at the beginning these trends like urbanisation, and obviously that's been a big part of the last sort of 20, 30 years, more, more and more people moving to sort of city locations. Do you think the pandemic has changed that? And if so, is that a short-term or change, or is it going to impact on the, that longer-term trend? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tell you, the pandemic was a very interesting, say the least, very interesting uh, experience for us. So we've been pitching about a future that will come where e-commerce will grow and the need for staying at home will grow. We missed one thing. We thought it's going to be here massively, it's going to be here between 2025 and 2030. And what the pandemic has done 
is basically accelerated all of that. The future we thought will be there in 10, 10, mo- 10 years actually materialize on us within five to 10 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what we've done is we basically we've accelerated, we've brought forward a lot of our plans. So we've launched with help in, uh, uh, in car parks, basically enabling access to healthcare all across our portfolio in the States, which is something that we've almost laughed at 2017 and 2018 and said, it's definitely coming, but the world will need, the market will need to mature before we're gonna actually get to that. And all of a sudden the opportunity was there. And as a company, and that's a great shout out to our uh, leadership and our uh, CEO, we were able to be very adaptive and move fast and basically bring those plans forward and reprioritize pretty much everything within a very short period of time. Yeah, go so, so pandemic for, for us, pandemic only accelerated what the, the inevitable. And it only brought it forward. Of course, there will be some things that will roll back and people, thank God, people are not only going to be in their houses and they're, and they're going to be going out and going to restaurants and, and, yeah. and that is perfect. But the adaptation is there. Yeah, the adaptation is definitely there. I'll tell you, I've started the lockdown for the first four months. I've, did the, I've done the shopping for my neighbors who are 80 plus. Yeah. Then someday, someday I said, okay, give me your uh, uh, weekly shopping yeah. list. And she said, God bless her, she said, no, I don't need that anymore. I've just signed up. I'm online. I'm doing all the ordering and now I'm getting it. And probably it's a part of the population that will have never converted to e-commerce. Now I've converted. And now that they can go back to the shop, they don't want to do it anymore. It's so easy and, and, yeah. and good for them. So definitely something that everyone experienced in a lot of different streams that the marketers didn't think that they would be tapping into are now part of this uh, e-commerce revolution. Absolutely. And in terms of urbanization, we're now hearing, um, hearing the media every day about the scramble from London to people to go buy big houses in Cornwall and near the coast and in more rural areas. Do you think that would have any effect or do you think actually the net population in urbanized areas is still growing at a much quicker rate? Um, so it's a, it's a great question. We're uh, tracking and following the data very closely on that. There was at one point last year a statement that, you know, Manhattan is dead and, and New York City is dead. And, and a bit like after the Twin Towers. Yeah, yeah. But and, that came back. And yeah. it came back and, and same same happens now. It's, well, it's booming again. Well, we're on Carnaby Street right now. Yeah. It's uh, like they're already bringing the tables and chairs out as I arrived here. Yeah. It's only midday. So, yeah, you can see all, already there's a big, uh, a big comeback. I, exactly. I, I can so, feel anyway. I, uh, my theory is that the high street has gravity. Mm-hmm. real gravity mm-hmm. and you cannot fight gravity at the end of the day. Some will definitely won't, won't fully recover, that we, we acknowledge that, but as a whole I think the majority will come back and you still see uh, dent, whatever was, wherever was dense and wealthy before will remain the same to an extent. And even if some people would leave, it will be compromised by the higher adoption of all the other users that haven't been part of this uh, before. So overall, I, I think that the trend still continues in, in, in one direction, that's upward and that the adaptation is also there. Yeah, fantastic. And you, we talked kind of about trends there, um, you mentioned the high street. What other trends in real estate do you see happening in the future? Because we're, every day, again, we're hearing about these huge stores like Debenhams and the department stores all closing up and the high street really struggling in some respects. What do you think? Do you think there's any trends that we're going to see in terms of maybe office space as well in Canary Wharf or the financial services? 
Are they going back in June? Is it September now? Is people going to go back three days a week? What's going to happen there? So what are your thoughts on, on those kind of trends? Wow, that's a, that's a massive question. I, think <laughs> I can only speak on, on behalf of myself. This is again one of those that we are closely tracking and seeing what the data will get in terms of how it's actually going. I think it's at this point it's clear, I can tell you from our perspective, we're a company of nearly 15,000 uh, employees uh, across the world. From our perspective, it's clear that there won't be a full return to office, definitely not in the immediate future. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there won't be full remote as well. And that's coming both from management, but definitely also from employees. There is that need to go out. There is that need to work in teams and to have that uh, a bit of separation between work and home. I think that we lost that a bit as, a, yeah. as people. We lost that a bit. Um, well, this is the first interview I've done, not on Zoom, yeah. for about a year. So it's nice to come and see people face to face. And it does, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of satisfaction through being face to face. I think yeah. people kind of, maybe at the beginning of this pandemic and the first lockdown, took for granted and by the third one actually the novelty <laughs> has maybe worn off a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And look, we're still early days, it's still transition, right? Um, 50% of the population is uh, vaccinated, it, it will take a bit longer. It's not even, it's still not the majority of the workforce that's being vaccinated, so all of that would impact. We're looking at examples, uh, Israel is a good example, uh, a place where uh, they reach 75% of uh, population uh, uh, fully vaccinated. And people went back, and they just yesterday they removed the need to wear a mask at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of going back to pretty much where it was before, with some new trends and some new capabilities and some new players as well yeah. who came into play. I think, but going back to, to the high street and the retailers, because that's definitely something that we follow closely. We see our offering as complementary to a lot of those. We, we work with a lot of shopping centers across the UK. Um, and one of the key elements that we see is we want to help those, those uh, uh, players basically to adopt fast enough to stay in the game, yeah. right? And last mile logistics is, is a big part of that, big part of that. It's that, the relationship with the consumer is getting the trust of the consumer and also going through the process of adopting to these new methods of consuming mm -hmm. for them and with them. And so really we think a lot of those players will survive, some of them, but all of them will need to adapt. It's, yeah. There's no question about it. And we believe that, you know, what we do is, is, is going to help and drive that and, and, and bring new capabilities to, to places that it, wasn't, it just didn't exist before. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it's not, you're still fairly a, a fairly new company, especially here in the UK. I know it started in, in, this, in the States. What have been the biggest challenges in growing the business here in the UK and, and Europe as well? It's a good question. I think the, our, our greatest challenge is there is a piece of market education that we are going through. Mm -hmm. Three years ago and four years ago, we sat in front of uh, landlords and said, it would be better for you to install a kitchen in your car park rather than use it for parking. And they looked at us a bit for crazy, right? And so we can already see a tremendous change. And every meeting would have started with 20 minutes of just explaining the concept of at our kitchen. And today, it's almost uh, taken for granted. So really, we already see a major change in the market and the and, and language becoming more and more sophisticated. I think there's a bit of a, a process to go through and, and, 
understanding that it is required. We see it in you know leases, uh, structure being changed yeah. now, realizing it's, it's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this new world that, that come upon us, it's just not sustainable. And that's on the one hand. And on the, on the other hand, is to realize that while you go through that, you think, okay, I need to work slowly and taking this, taking it in small bites so we can educate the market. There's this big wave, fast-moving wave of all these new players coming into play uh, because the opportunity all of a sudden finally introduces yeah, itself yeah. massively. So it's the combination of taking it slow with the, with the appropriate landlords while moving as fast as we can to stay ahead of the curve because that's, that's where yeah. we are. And you mentioned at the beginning, um, you kind of touched on a bit about ESG and you talked about the trends of kind of how landlords are changing their perspective a bit. Do you think that's at all to do with maybe the baby boomers kind of passing down to millennials who have certain, uh, they might have stronger feelings about certain ESG policies and actually, I mean, we heard recently, I can't remember whether it was BP or what, what a company, but there were two new board members have come in that are specifically about about their green policies and things like that. Do you see that as a big movement at the moment and one you're trying to capitalise on? So I probably haven't put it quite as yeah, distinctly, yeah, but hopefully you get the idea of what I'm, yeah, what I'm getting at. I will gently avoid the questions with the yeah. generation differences, <laughs> but we're definitely seeing that, and I mentioned that before, it's a demand that comes from the street, it's a demand that comes from um, the landlords, it's mm-hmm. definitely a demand that comes from municipalities and a lot of other organizations, such organizations that we're talking to. Building something that is sustainable, building something that supporting the environment, mm-hmm. definitely not worsening the, the, the environmental yeah. uh, situation, is it's just fundamental. It's mm-hmm. no longer, yeah. we don't see it as something that is even under debate. It's just fundamental. It's core to our offering. So cutting off, we have this slide, so it's a podcast, so I'm going to try to describe the slide, with four picture images that we actually took between meetings, on the way from one meeting to the other, um, in London and in New York. And it's basically, it shows, on the one, it shows um, a lorry, basically just taking curbside, a bit of the curbside, and using it as if it's warehouse, right? And so you look at that and say, well, while they're doing that, because nobody took care, logistically didn't take care of any other better option for them, they're creating congestion behind them, right? And they bring this big lorry into the city, they're also worsening the air conditioning. And then the second picture is one of those UPS freight, uh, uh, one of those freight companies, uh, basically uh, uh, parking in a no, no parking zone. And you know, when you look at in New York, they accumulated in 2018, they accumulated something like $30 million. Don't hold me accountable for, for the numbers, but it's something like $30 million of, uh, of fines, parking fines, mm-hmm. which they end up negotiating, bringing it down to 10 or 5. And it becomes part of the uh, effectively part of costs, just part, part of part, yeah, part yeah. of their uh, uh, costs. Once again, while doing that, creating all of this congestion, etc. And then the last one, the last image shows a police vehicle stuck behind Pepsi truck de- delivery and a Coca-Cola truck. And then you, you look at it and you think, all right. So the first two examples, it's inconvenient and it's not as tangible. But the last one basically means that put yourself in the person who called that police, who called that ambulance and, and called those emergency services 
made that phone call and said, I need you here now, it's a life-threatening situation, then they can reply within seven minutes, nine minutes, ten minutes. And why? Because you sit at home and you want the Amazon package to come to you, mm-hmm. and you want to go to the uh, shop, the corner shop, and you want everything there available to you. And basically, we've clogged and, and, and fully congested our streets. And so our purpose, our, our underlying purpose in building those that, that platform is to unlock those congestions that are being created in the streets, move them to car parks or better logistical areas, and then all of a sudden, maybe that emergency vehicle can come to you within two to three minutes. Mm-hmm. Think statistically, how much would that improve uh, um, quality of life for everyone? Quality of life, saving lives, yeah. etc. So really, we, we're, we aspire to be at, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, some cities need it more urgently than others. All cities absolutely need it to an extent. And we are part of that. We're part of the 15-minute city movement, basically bringing everything you need to you within, the fi- within 15 minutes uh, our, our reach. Um, the mayor of uh, Paris is leading that, but we do great work in, in, in with the mayor of Miami on developing that as well. And so sustainability is core. You cannot really build a business and, and expect to, to survive in current environment without thinking about um, how am I building something that's sustainable and contributing to improving our, our environment. Mm. And you mentioned from the 15-minute cities there. What, um, obviously, London, we're here in London today. It's the biggest city in the UK. What other cities or even towns have you got your eye on at the moment in the UK that you see as being good opportunities for this? That's a good question. London is obviously a key market for us. Uh, it represents so much. Uh, we, we, we believe it will be our biggest market across Europe and we're, fly, and we're starting to grow into the uh, rest of Europe now. But where we see this fit is basically literally everywhere in different volumes yeah but literally everywhere um, we have our eyes on all the all the next 30 uh, 30 cities in uk as pretty much immediate steps um, and beyond that we will get there as well i think we will get there with the with the industry and with the other companies who will go in there right mm-hmm. so Anywhere you would find Just Eat and Deliveroo and, and Uber, you would find us as well. Yeah, yeah. And more in, in other players, in other players too. It's, it's this wave of mobility and last mile that we already see spread beyond just the key cities or the major cities. And then in the business, you've already mentioned some throughout this conversation, but what, what are the most important metrics for you that you want to see on, on your business or even on, um, I don't know, towns and cities to help you make decisions. So if you, if you could pick, I don't know, the top three that you want to look at every month, what would they be? That's a good one. There's a couple of elements here, right? As a company, we are focusing on growth at the moment. And so one of the key things that we track right now is getting to all of the markets that we want to get into and reaching the volume that we want to reach out to. Um, so that's a very practical type of KPI yeah. that basically, you know, keep, keep me busy on a, day, on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Then, in terms of measuring our success as a business, I think the key KPI for us is basically measuring the amount of, measuring our impact on the immediate environment to each and every one of our hubs. How do you measure that? Adaptation by uh, locality. So, mm-hmm. e-commerce is, is giving you some great data points and visibility. Actually, 
know where your consumers are shopping from and so you can measure very clearly what are the neighborhoods and what are the neighborhoods area that you serve and what which ones are perhaps underserved and then better match your, your again your content to them and basically by the type of services that are being consumed you can learn a lot about the impact that you do and then we are at the early stage of working with cities on measuring the impact of the streets as part of what we we're trying to do. We're working closely with, we're partnering with TFL um, on an innovation hub called Freight Lab, where as a partner to TFL, we host six different innovators who come to across London and bring their solutions for uh, basically freight challenges. And one of them that we just deployed on our, one of our car parks is the other uh, last month, measure environmental impact, sounds impact, air quality yeah. impact, etc. of basically of all of the activities in, in, in a hub and in the surrounding yeah. hub, etc. And so there's, there's a lot of ways of doing that. Um, and, and it's definitely high on our agenda to make sure that we do that. Mm. Fantastic. And um, obviously, you joined this company, I'd still probably class it as a startup then. Absolutely. What was it that attracted you to the company, and what advice would you give to anyone that's looking to join a startup now? Right. So, well, you need to really be sure. First, first thing, you need to ask yourself twice if you want to go into this adventure. It's not for the faint hearted, that's for sure. But, probably also as rewarding as, as it is uh, challenging. I joined five years ago. We were about 30 people back then. And I joined not because the product convinced me, it was because the combination of the vision with the team of people that I saw convinced me. And every early startup, and every investor will tell you that as well, you invest in the team rather than the product or the service because the product and the service will go through so many adaptations and so many changes along the way. You need to make sure you have the team that can carry that and they have a northern star that guide them towards the right location. And so I had the, the luxury of working closely with our founder and CEO, Ario Jalvo, and his close team when I joined. And for me, it was very clear that there's something way beyond current industry. There's a real potential in transforming an industry, transforming the way real estate is being looked at, car parking is being looked at, food is being served, a combination of multiple industries in one solution, and the ability to quite clearly explain how the future would look like. And five years in, I can tell you, we're in a very different position from where we were then, with a completely different set of tools today to be able to explain it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's quite amazing. I wish I had a recording of my interview when I made the decision <laughs> of joining, because I'm not kidding. Everything you see today on our website and how we materialize, all of that was clearly explained as a vision in the interview. On surface, there was no, there was almost none of that. Yeah. It was very early days, uh, but the vision was so clearly de- and so well defined that I was convinced. But it also had a, an element of a gamble, yeah. so you really need to make sure that you know uh, you feel uncomfortable with your with your with your gamble there. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, you mentioned that you joined at thirty employees, and you know how many? Fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand. They, the company raised, I think it was 700 million recently from SoftBank and uh, Oak Tree Capital, who are big kind of names in, in that. So that just gives everyone an idea of the size of kind of business that we're dealing with. And you talked about the team and I suppose the culture. How important do you think going forward culture is going to be for businesses? And, and do, you, do you see a lot of maybe, I suppose, archaic companies going under now purely on the basis of culture? 
especially now that we've had the pandemic and culture might be seen to be more important as ever for to attract people back to them. Yeah. The culture is strategy for breakfast, right? That's what yeah. they say. And the more time we spend in, on, on growing and stabilizing the business, the more it becomes apparent. You have to have the right culture, you have to have the right mindset, and the risk of not having an adaptable culture, an open-minded one, an acceptable one, an accepting one, not only risk the more traditional businesses, it's also risk startups today that just don't move fast enough yeah. and adopt fast enough. Um, and so, you know, with 30 people, we had a very different type of culture and, and uh, a lot of you know, differences that we had to consider yeah, to imagine. what we have today, obviously. Yeah. And so it's really a big, big lesson and we're learning every day. And I think it's something that culture is not, it's not a steady element. It's something that keep on changing, keep on growing, um, trends are changing. The people who, who works at the company are, are, are changing and evolving. The industry is evolving, therefore you have to make adjustments. You know, last couple of years there were a few uh, um, real, real tests to culture for companies all around. Mm-hmm. I think our company stood very proudly with Black Lives Matter movement. And when the events uh, uh, post-George Floyd uh, murder uh, uh, in May last year, when those events emerged, we made a very clear statement with regard to our support of that and our uh, standing against uh, racism. And some companies do that, some companies mm-hmm. don't. And I think it's very important that you are, today it's, more, it's important more than ever to make a statement of what you believe in yeah. and stand for the right things. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, what would you say at the moment is the biggest risk to your business and what are you putting in place to mitigate that? So our biggest risk will always be um, speed. Can we move fast enough? Can we grow fast enough? And that's not, that will not only come to you know, a number of uh, patients we go through. It goes on everything, right? I keep on explaining to my team that the greatest challenge I have throughout my years in, in, in Reef is can you personally grow as fast as the company grows? Yeah. Right? And a company that moves and, and, and develops that fast, it's a continuous challenge, which is also the magic in, of being part of this uh, of being part of this journey. And so your team on a personal level, can your team on a professional level move as fast as you can? Are you moving as fast as the market is, is evolving? And are you moving as fast or faster than the competition? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are uh, questions we ask ourselves literally every day. Uh, and just because things are changing so fast, definitely since pandemic, that it, it, it has to take first priority in terms of how we, how we navigate uh, through this. Fantastic. That's been so interesting. I've really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to finish on the last question that I tried to ask everyone, and that is, what is the kindest thing that someone has done for you in business? The kindest thing someone done for me in business is being honest and being brutally honest. And it would be uh, early days, probably in an interview uh, structure, when uh, obviously I did not get the job, but that person grabbed me for a beer and said, look, you need to really, really change the way you think, the way you present yourself, etc." And I found that so painful, so helpful, yeah. all at the same time, that I'm trying to adopt that and maintain that definitely in leading teams. So I think 
There's nothing kinder than being very honest, mm-hmm. save people time, save people developing wrong expectations. And I think that's the, that's the essence of being nice, just be honest. Even, yeah, if, yeah. even if the news are not great for the other side, it's so much better than being, just being led towards the, the, the wrong, uh, you know, that, down the wrong line. So that's the, the, the best form of kindness I can offer in a, in a business. Brilliant. Well, like I said, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, to come on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I think everyone's going to really enjoy this interview. So thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Please join me next time for more detailed discussions about property on The Rodcast.